You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? It's good to see everybody. How are we feeling this uh, daylight savings time? Is that one? Okay, thanks. Slight adjustment. Uh, if there is kids in the uh, building right now, please feel free to go to Kids Kingdom. It's about that time. I think I'm speaking mainly to my wife since we have a couple. <laughs> it's good to see everybody. Um, I do have a couple things before we get in this lesson. A lot of fun today. We're going to talk about growing into emotionally mature adult and all of that means. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I can speak on this since I'm, you know, still figuring it out, but amen, I will do my best uh, this fine morning. But uh, the Marichis, they do send their love. They are in the north region this morning. Uh, Steve did send me a message. He said, them not being here gives someone else a chance to win the chili cook-off today. So shots fired, bang, bang. <laughs> He's going to love that one when he comes back. Um... Another announcement that's really important, uh, the 19th, uh, Saturday, March 19th, we are having our third outreach event at Wilson Park. And so it's a great time of fellowship. Uh, you know, there's some wonderful food there. We get to know the community. So please consider coming out. That's going to be again at Wilson Park, right by the community center in between that and the farmer's market itself. It starts at 1030. As you know, parking can be a little, little fun in the morning, just a tad. So uh, plan for that, but again, next Saturday, the 19th at 10.30. That being said, let us pray for the lesson this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for these times to come together, even if it is daylight savings, even if we are an hour uh, less of sleep. Uh, be able to worship together, to see each other's faces, to sing songs. Appreciate Celia and, and the words that you put in his heart. Appreciate, God, everyone up here uh, using their gifts and talents, God, for your glory. We pray, Father, for your spirit to move powerfully, whether it's a lesson this morning that I can be an empty vessel for you, our hearts, God, helping them be attentive. I know we, we bring in a lot of issues or different challenges that come our way, some cases sin. Help us to remove all those things that so easily entangle us. Help us to have hearts ready to listen to your word this morning, to glorify you, God, with our, our actions subsequently have a great time of fellowship after our service today. We pray for different things, God. Uh, I think of health issues for Jerry, who's in the hospital, with uh, working with his heart. I think of Lisa Caprelli, who has, uh, came here for a while, who just recently had a bicycle accident. So many people in situations with cancer or, or different life-threatening issues and family members they love very much, in addition to all that's happening across, around the world in Ukraine. We pray, God, that you're working powerfully through all these situations, that seeds are being planted for your gospel. Help us to rely and trust in you, God, and all of them have peace that transcends understanding. Thank you, God, so much for loving us the way that you do. You're an amazing Father. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So talking about growing into emotionally mature adult, I changed the subtitle slightly from the book. Uh, the book says learning, to, uh, learning like new skills to love well. I think a better way of putting that is learning to love more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's $11.6 billion put into the self-help industry in 2019. Um, and, and it's for phrases like this, like how to help somebody 
to grow and to find whether contentment in their life or to find that career or, or passion that they're seeking, to shift their paradigm of looking at the world, to work on the relationships before them, to have victory in some impasse in their life they feel like can achieve. And the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ as we go through this emotionally healthy spirituality course is that we already have the example. That's right. We have this, this God, this man, this Messiah, that whatever you want to look to when it comes to an ideal, he's already it. So when we talk about growing to emotionally mature adult, we're very much learning to love more like Jesus. That being said, the book has some ideas of what an emotional adult uh, in terms of like maturity should look like. It has different stages. I didn't list them all just for the sake of time. But it has stages like, for example, you could be an emotional infant or an emotional child or an emotional adolescent. And then it culminates with this uh, emotional adult idea. And you go through these different stages, you know, again, they're categories, but maybe, perhaps, if you're an infant, you rely heavily on other people. You're codependent. Uh, as you're working your way through, maybe you have issues being defensive. Second, someone says something you don't like, the dukes are up, and you're ready to go. Uh, some cases, we can fly off the handle. Second, something happens emotionally, uh, charged situation, stressful, challenging. We can let all our emotions fly out and be immature. And so there's some characteristics that the book talks about that I like, and you can see some of those bullet points. I added some scripture base to it, um, so you can see kind of these different passages, right? But emotional adults, like, for example, number one, they, they can ask for what they need and want and prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. Having this ability to be able to communicate what you are thinking and feeling that someone doesn't have to have ESPN. That's a joke. Someone doesn't have to have a third eye to ascertain what you're going through, but you can communicate that. In your relationship, you can see how important that is. I'm married, if I don't communicate my feelings and I want them just to magically figure it out, that creates some challenges, amen? I don't think I'm alone. Different uh, things it talks about in here. It's hard to see on there, so I'm gonna look up. Recognize and, and, and you know, being able to manage and take responsibility for your own actions and thoughts and feelings. Um, I, I mentioned the scripture about 2 Corinthians 7.10 and about godly sorrow and this ability to want to see right things done in your life and the lives of others. There's personal ownership. And so it has all these different points. And like a fine wine, we want to get better with age, don't we? We want to grow. Even though our bodies are kind of slowly wasting away and I don't have the jawline that I used to have and the waists are getting bigger than I care to admit. These elastic, you know, stretchy pants are working really well in the spirit of Nacho Libre. The stretchy pants. As this world goes through a natural state of entropy, as everything slowly degrades, that we, like stars in the universe, can shine. And we can grow in this ever-increasing glory that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians 3, that when everything goes down, our hearts go up. Our souls go up. Our character rises. Our mind, it shifts and renews like a fine wine. And I know not everyone wants to say it, but we do appreciate a fine wine once in a while. Don't, not too much, though. Take it easy. I don't want you saying amen. Really excited about that one. <laughs> like, amen, Rhett. I swear that I promise this question has something to do with the lesson today. But what are two things that go together? Aside from what you can see here, macaroni and cheese, milk and cookies. Uh, I want you to think about this for a second and then share. This is not rhetorical, this is for the peanut gallery. So please, think of two things that you can consider that go together. And when you have something, please raise your hand. 
Rico. Vanilla ice cream and chocolate cake. Can I get an amen? Can we get that bad boy heated up too? Not the ice cream, the cake. Fred. Peanut butter and chocolate. Just a little bit. Reese's Pieces for Life and all the other things. Did you hear that, everyone? For those in live stream, just so you're aware, she said, and first off, hello, um, she said pizza and pineapple. I see some thumbs up, I see some thumbs down. Uh, if you want to polarize the room, you just did it. You're welcome. Olay. Hot dogs and beer. I'm gonna have to agree with that. Uh, two more for the sake of time. We got Mike, and then we have, in the, and uh, actually we'll go with uh, right there. Yeah. Bananas and milk. That's interesting. That's not bad. I might have to give that a try. Last but not least, Mike. Chili and cornbread, and what a quinky day. As luck would have it, we're just so happy to have Chili and Cornbread today after service. Plug has officially been made. So what does this have to do with our, our, our sermon today? And I think this is very important, right? Let's look at this passage right here in Matthew 22. In the spirit of keeping two uh, things connected, two things that go together. It says this. This is in context uh, Jesus having one of his many discussions with the religious leaders of the day. Uh, very often they try to chip him up in his words. They're trying to find a way to discredit his ministry. And if we can trick him here, and then people will believe that he's not some kind of prophet or special individual, but he's just a man trying to lead some uh, folly movement or whatever. So one of these questions they had, you know, out of the 600 plus commands that you'd find in the Old Testament, like what, which one's the most important? Difficult question, right? Jesus says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you want to talk about two things that go together, like peanut butter and jelly, I was thinking of a, a movie quote that's kind of funny, but it was like, it, it's a joke, but it says like, lamb and tuna fish. If you remember that one, Big Daddy, 1999. But... <laughs> Two things that go together, that are extremely important, that are inseparable, that at no point in time in our lives, as we profess discipleship and following Jesus Christ, should they ever be mutually exclusive. It's loving God and loving his people. They should be intertwined. And what is the danger? The danger is if you've been around church for a while and you've read the Bible and you start memorizing scriptures and you can go through the rote processes of living out this life, one of the dangers is that we can become these, these full of knowledge and full of wisdom and our head just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we know so much, but then we can love so little. Jesus marries the two. He makes sure it's very clear that if we are going to love God, if we're going to be emotionally mature adults, and I think this is what we're talking about, right? Emotional maturity. Uh, different authors have put it different ways. Uh, I think of one book called Tuesdays with Maury. You may have read it. Uh, Mitch Album. One of the things he mentions in these, in these weekly meetings with his uh, professor who was dying of cancer, 
his professor would give him these little nuggets, and he says, one of the most important things about this world, he's probably the two most important things about this world, and I share it because it's in line with this passage. He says the ability to accept love and the ability to give it. And if you think about that, that makes total sense as being an emotionally mature adult. The ability to accept the love of God. Our warts and all, all our faults, all our shortcomings, to be able to embrace his grace and say thank you for it. And that out of that gratitude would overflow a love for people. Let's continue on. There's some pithy statements that the book says about love that, you know, are pretty straightforward, but I like. One of them says, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Uh, love is challenging. Uh, if any of you have been married for any amount of time, you can raise your hand and say, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, love is also amazing. Marriage is amazing. Child rear is amazing. But we understand that it comes with work, that you're going to be stretched. You're going to be challenged. You might think you are loving and patient and kind, and you're not easily angered, and then you get married. <laughs> and then you have kids. And then you find out unequivocally that you've been measured on some scales and perhaps found wanting. Just going to put it out there. You can take it back. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Other ones similar to it? Loving well, or loving well, is the essence of true spirituality. All tie in to this notion of being emotionally mature adult. One of the things that when I think about emotional maturity, when I think about this love, that isn't always connected, or may not be the first thing that comes to mind, but especially in this, in this, in this book, and I think it, it's apropos in many respects, is if we're going to have an emotionally mature mindset, that we have to be willing to consistently embrace conflict, to, to hop into the fray as it were. There's different passages that, that Jesus, uh, you know, kind of alludes to Jesus or that mentions um, different notions. One is in, in, in Matthew, and this is the, uh, the Beatitudes, right? The Sermon on the Mount, his longest recorded sermon. And, and right at the beginning, that kind of talking about what it means to be a part of this new kingdom. He mentions this idea that, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Another passage in James 3.18, and this is just, you know, there are a couple, there's far more than this. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So what does that have to do with emotional maturity? I, I think, you know, there's two camps, right? And there's different ways, different ways it's been described. We can be peacekeepers, but not peacemakers. We can be people that want to maintain the status quo in our lives and the lives of others at work, at church, in your respective fears of influence, simply because we don't want to deal with the fallout. We don't want to deal with all the challenges that come with speaking the truth in love, with taking a stand, with being honest about the situation, and so we can retreat. Sometimes it's just comfort. It's just easy. Like, I don't want to go into, I can see, I can play this out from A to Z and see all that's going to ensue if I tackle this problem. So you know what I'd rather do? Uh, just put my hands in my pockets and just sit down and then let's watch some Netflix. <laughs> can you relate? Emotionally mature individuals don't settle for peacekeeping. We strive for peacemaking. Peacemaking is allowing the truth of God to permeate any and every situation. 
Because what happens when we're peacekeeping, there's a situation that's based on lies. One of my favorite uh, you know, writers, Martin Luther King, he wrote a letter from Birmingham Jail. Beautiful piece, you know, while he's in prison. And he talks about this same idea, how people would settle for a negative piece instead of making the changes that need to occur. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, in, in, in uh, chapter 7, this notion of uh, the false prophet saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Telling the people that everything's fine, that God is happy, he is pleased with us, we're doing all things right. But there are changes that needed to be made. Jesus was very comfortable embracing conflict. I think the uh, oh, format, formatting is pretty good right there. It's not too bad. We're going to read through this passage. We'll focus a little bit on here in John 8, 42 through 47. And you can see it. So these words are, are, are challenging. I don't know if I would go up to someone and say some of the things that Jesus says in, in, in John 8. But the, the backdrop's interesting. He's talking to the Pharisees, right? He's talking to the religious leaders of the day. People that feel like they have it on pack, that they know what it means to follow God. They know, and they are the teachers of everyone. So they've memorized the, memorized the books of the Bible. They give a, a tenth of their mint and cumin. They do all the righteous acts. And Jesus says, if you follow my teachings, you're really my disciples in John 8. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he's talking about being set free from sin. He's talking about this notion of, of being a part of the house of God. And the Pharisees got offended. They were not pleased with this idea that they needed to be set free from anything, that they weren't already a part of God's household. So Jesus says things like this. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you aren't able to hear what I say. Here's the kicker. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Am I if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And you drop the mic. <laughs> An intense situation. I know, again, I probably wouldn't necessarily go around saying this to anybody I came across. But here's the kicker. Jesus was embracing the conflict. What was the conflict? You're dealing with some of the hardest hearts that you could ever have a conversation with. Jesus talks about the parable of the soils, right, and these different hearts, and there's hard hearts that are hard soil. It's like a path, and if the word of God is seed, and it gets thrown in that path, what does it do? It just bounces right off, right? And so Jesus' words are like a jackhammer. He's trying to break through some of the hardest of hearts, the toughest of soil. So what does he say? He says difficult, straightforward, honest, and direct verbiage. He embraces the conflict at hand. He meets them where they're at. Interesting point. Matthew 16, you see this uh, back and forth with, with Peter and Jesus. And Peter is basically telling Jesus that you don't need to go to the cross. That you are not going to die. That you do not need to suffer. The very reason why Jesus came. And what does Jesus tell his dear friend, his disciple in this situation? He says, get behind me, Satan. 
that you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but rather merely human concerns. That your focus is shifted. He's putting a friendship, a, a loving disciple's friendship on the line and telling him what needs to be said. Embracing conflict, not shying away from the conversations that need to be had. Think for yourself this morning. What's a conversation that you've been avoiding? What is a situation that you know that needs to be addressed? Something that I've seen in, in disciples' life and my life as well is that God will put us at an impasse. He'll put us in situations where we have to choose what is right or what is left. And in my experiences, I've done this, and I've seen other people do this as well, we can ignore that choice and then continue on in our righteous deeds. We can even say, hey, you know what? I'm working on this. I'm trying to grow in humility and read a book about it. But then never actually address the situation that God has put you in. Avoid it altogether. I remember conversations I've had for myself. Um, it's kind of fun ones. <laughs> My first, our first year of marriage, I remember getting time with uh, this couple. And uh, I was very adamant about how correct I was in this first year of marriage. And I, I, my, I felt like the issue was my wife didn't just, she didn't hear me. She's like, well, my wife didn't hear me. She didn't understand. And if she heard me, if she understood what I was saying, and if someone else did, then we'd, we would be fine. My points would be understood. And I had a brother uh, sit me down in this conversation. He's like, you know what, bro? You don't listen to your wife. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, you know, and going through my laundry list of reasons why I felt like she didn't understand what we needed to do and how my way was correct. And this, in this one situation, this brother just tackles it head on. You need to start listening to what she's telling you. That God has put this person in your life to help you to draw closer to him. Not for you to control not for you to try to be right about, but for you to embrace righteousness. Amen for difficult conversations. There's a lot of uh, practicals that you find in the book. Uh, these different ideas. I won't touch on all of them, but there's a couple here I think that are worth mentioning when, it, when we... Specific skill sets as it pertains to embracing conflict. One of them is this idea of I-it versus I-thou relationships. There's a writer in the 1920s, uh, you know, Christian thinker, and he, he talks about this idea that when we look at people, oftentimes we can look at them like pawns on a chessboard. We can look at people as simply extensions of what we're trying to accomplish. How can I move this piece? How can I have this conversation and just have this, that, and the other to achieve my said goals? And as, as someone, if you're, if you're a supervisor at work, an ops manager, a C-suite executive, wherever you land on the totem pole, this is a danger when you're in charge to look at individuals and then miss the specific things that God is doing in their lives. That they're not simply just an extension of what you're trying to accomplish, but rather they have their own walk with God. God has his own dreams and visions for them and that we are actively trying to bring that out in their lives. Another one that I kind of mentions I really like um, Allergies and triggers is one at the bottom. That we walk in, you know, as most mature adults, we all have things that can trigger us. We all have pasts and histories that, some, 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 once someone says something, it can just immediately take us into a place 
that we don't want to go. You can think about for yourself what it is. While I'm saying it, you're like, yeah, I just had that conversation yesterday, right? <laughs> we get in these moments, right? And so, you know, I, I think from my, you know, conversations I have my wife or myself, dealing with past traumas, working through different issues with the sole purpose of, you know what, so when this situation happens again, as a mostly mature adult, I don't have the same trigger. I think for Jesus, and I, and I think for ourselves, the goals that we have, right? What, what is the point of, of going through all this and being a mostly mature adult? I think the goal is to help us to be a people that can love freely, Amen. that don't have like one hang-up after the next that goes unaddressed. Because we're all going to, ideally, if we walk with Christ, we're all going to grow. It, the challenge is, is when we don't grow and we, don't, we get stuck, the love of God that's supposed to be evident in our lives, that's supposed to flow to other people in these relationships, it gets blocked. So when we talk about being an emotionally mature adult, it's addressing these issues. It's dealing with these things. It's embracing new skills, as it were. Shifting our hearts if we need to so that we can shine in such a way that when people look at us, they can see the love of Christ. That we go beyond the right answers. We go beyond the rote memory. We go beyond the religious actions. But what is the real power of this thing called Christianity? What is it? It's God working in our lives. It's him. It's God is love. And when that love overflows, people can see him in such a way that they like, wait, wait, what is it? What is it about your church? What is it about you in particular? What are you doing? What have you figured out that I haven't? But too often times, we just want to say the right thing or do the right thing minus that love. And so there is no power. It's no different from any other congregation or one of the 3,000 iterations of Christianity that you find across the world today because everyone is just doing the same thing instead of being different. As a people of God, my hope and my prayer is imagine the power that happens when we embrace this idea of being an emotionally mature adult in Christ Jesus, that we are constantly fighting to mature and be more like him. And when people go, when you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, when we have an outreach, whatever the situation may be, that they look at you and they can see something unique. He doesn't respond. She doesn't respond the way that I've seen others be in that situation. I've seen people manage stress. You manage it differently. You're calm, cool, and collected. Why are you that way? What is it about you that is unique? If we embrace this notion, whoo, all the ways that God's will work, amen? amen? Communion. Looking at this passage right here, it says in 1 John 4, 9 through 12, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love, ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is known as this disciple of love. It's very clear 
in this passage, and we talked about this notion earlier that love can be a messy thing. An atoning sacrifice was an extremely messy thing for Jesus. The difficulties that he went through, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Help us, God, as we're about to pray for communion, that we can be a people that exude the love that we've seen through Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for you loving us the way that you do. Your grace and your mercy, we don't deserve, but you give it to us in ample portion every single day. Help us, Father, to be mature in you, to grow in the spirit of Ephesians 4, to grow in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 3, and 2 Peter 1, that we can have an ever-increasing measure of your likeness. Help us to address the things that are preventing us from loving like you. Help us to grow in ways that we maybe thought we couldn't even grow, to be more like your son with every passing day. Please give us insight and revelation into whatever it needs that your truth permeates through every aspect of our heart and of our lives. Thank you so much for your son and for his sacrifice. We pray, God, that it motivates us, that our labor in you is prompted by love, that you are pleased with our heart for you. We love you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.